Let's go ahead and do our reading. Uh, it's a very familiar verse, very dear to our hearts. So we'll go ahead and read um, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you'll stand up, we'll do the public reading of God's Word in a responsive fashion. I'll be reading the uh, verse 16, and then, and, then the, and then you all in verse 17 uh, with uh, Chris as my main, main representative reader. I'm reading from the NIV. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all together now, and teaching, teaching them, them to, to obey, obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very, to the very end, end of the age. age. This is the word of the Lord. Won't you join me in prayer? Dear precious Father, we thank you so much for this first Sunday after Easter, where our recollection of what the, the miraculous thing that happened, that authenticated all that you are, and even more, uh, is still fresh in our memory, and so we want to delve into the words that you have uttered shortly after your resurrection. Why you have to go through all of that, and what is, what is it that you're inviting us into? Lord, we want to make complete the picture of the legacy of this faith that we inherit today. We ask, Lord, that your speaker will speak your truth with power, and that each of us will be, Lord, really overwhelmed into an amen. And all of us will receive something so precious and powerful that uh, the rest of the week, the, the week that begins starting from today, would, Lord, uh, forever be changed. Uh, in your name, we pray all of these things. And the people of God said, Amen. You may be seated. And it really is a wonderful privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you again today. Um, it really is encouraging to see your face in person. It really is. Um, today, we spend a little time on Matthew's account of Jesus' last words to his disciples soon after he was resurrected. These last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, we know as the Great Commission. Many of us know these verses by, by heart. How many of you know this verse, these two verses by heart, 19 and 20? You do, right? Uh, we know these by heart because we know that in them is the purpose of why we exist as a church. If you've ever forgotten, if you ever thought, why do we even do this? Go here and then it will, it will show you. And today I'm going to unpack most of that so that we could really, really have it internalized into our beings. But before we even go into that, I want to direct your attention to the fact that even after Jesus' resurrection proper, a doubt remained. Verse 16 states that the 11 disciples went to where Jesus had told them to go, to the, to the mountain in Galilee. And verse 17 says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And this is a disconcerting report, brothers and sisters. It's disconcerting. In my reading of this text, if I don't allow room for perhaps some more people that have tagged along, joined them along the journey. If you strictly go by the text, we're talking about only 11 people that were present 
with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Eleven people. And from among them, from the eleven, we see some that are doubting, even after the Lord had risen from the grave. From the eleven people. So it says some doubted. So it's, it's not one, but at least two. Because some, by, by, by definition, is more than one, right? Maybe even three or more of the disciples, mind you, doubting. Doubting. Not even all of the 11 disciples who had fled during the, the crucifixion and, and regrouped after Jesus' resurrection, they're not united in worshiping God. If we had a group of like a thousand, I mean, probabilistically, if you do the math, it's about two-thirds maybe doubting. Like let's say just one-third of them, them believed and the rest of them doubted. I can understand that. But we're talking about a number that's whittled down to just 11. 11 people. Less than a dozen. Even 12 was too much. Judas, the traitor, having gone his own way, from the remaining 11, some doubt. The question that I have to ask then is, what more? Just what more does Jesus have to do in order that he would be worshipped rather than doubted? We already know from the Gospel of John that there is a Thomas, Thomas from among, among them, who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's a kind of a gruesome proposition, don't you think? If the Messiah is indeed risen from the grave, let me check, let me verify. This guy wants to do a post-resurrection autopsy on Jesus Christ. And this speaks volumes as to the nature of disbelief. The verse today forces us to confront our own skepticism. Do you guys ever doubt? There are moments when we doubt, don't we? Right? When you have your faith and you, when, you like, when, you, when you set your mind to say, you know, I'm going to believe today, there are people around you that doubt you in your position of faith. The author of Hebrews states, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. We cannot please God without faith, without trusting Him. In the Gospel of Luke, in the parable that Jesus speaks where the rich man begs Father Abraham to have Lazarus go, go to his brothers, you know. My, this guy, this rich guy was in hell and he's, he's looking up at Father Abraham and saying, please, send Lazarus to my family members that are still up there and warn them about this place. And this is Father Abraham's uh, reply. He says, if they won't pay attention to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even to someone who comes back from the dead. This is to say that if we don't pay attention to the Word of God, we will not believe someone even if he comes back from the dead. The disciples, the disciples that walked with him for three years after Jesus, I mean, it's not like he didn't give him an advance warning either. Jesus told them, the Son of Man must suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests of Israel and then be killed and then come back from the dead. And he's risen now and 11 people remain and there's still some people that are like twiddling their thumbs and, and wondering what's going on. 
So I ask you today, a week after Easter, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the grave? Do you believe it? Do you believe that he's alive today and receiving your attention and your worship? Do you believe it? Give me an amen if you believe it in, in your gut. Amen? This leads me to the first point of today's message. Don't see to believe, but believe to see. Have you heard me preach this before? This is not the first time I've actually shared this with you. Don't see to believe, but believe to see. Because when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. They all saw him. They did not lack sight of him, but the doubt of some sure proved that they lacked insight. They had the sight they, they were seeing, but they lacked the insight. They did not know, they did not understand what they were seeing. What I mean by believing in order to see is that when an extraordinary event is happening right before our eyes, we are sometimes unable to recognize it because of unbelief. Now, this is something that just happened to me recently. You guys all know that I got into a pretty bad car crash. It was bad. And uh, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not dominated by fear very easily, you know. And, uh, but it shook me up. It was to the point where I couldn't really put into order everything that was going on, you know. It, was, it shook me up quite a bit because it came out of nowhere, you know. I drove my car around thinking that, that I would never be hit. In, in, that kind of scenario never occurred to me. You guys all know this, right? Like if somebody gets cancer, it's somebody else that gets it. If somebody gets into a car accident, somebody else gets it. You never think it's going to happen to me, but it happened to me. And uh, what was happening before my eyes is that even though my car was wrecked, had my car been just a few feet in front, if, I, if my car had, been, had moved just a few microseconds forward, it would have T-boned right into my, into my driver's seat, and I could have gotten into a crippling injury. It, it, is, it is by the grace of God that I'm not injured more, Right? Doubt can cloud the miracles. Doubt can cloud the miracles. And the group of people gathered up on that mountain witnessing the risen Jesus are not just people. They're the very same people who live with Jesus in their itinerant, you know, going around the ministry for roughly three years. Their Jesus was not a face that they could forget in such a short time. Right? And we hear this said in the English language, I will have to see to believe this. Oh, did you hear that Albert lost 100 pounds? I don't know if you guys know who Fat Albert is, is a cartoon character, right? And then, no way, I'll have to see it to believe it. Oh, did you hear that the carpenter's son from Nazareth came back from the dead? I will have to see it to believe it. We say this. I need to examine the evidence is what people say. But when from among the 11 disciples, some are doubting, it is very possible to have the evidence right in front of you and still not have it registered, not have it make, not have the faith affect you into a changing perspective. What are they exactly doubting? What, is, what, what, is, what does Matthew say when they're doubting? What, 
did he, did he actually die? Is that what they're doubting? Or maybe he just appeared to die, but he just had, had to be revitalized once taken off the cross? Or are they thinking, yeah, he came back from the dead, but is he really the Messiah? Are they still doubting that he's the Messiah? What exactly are they doubting? Well, one of the clues might be that we have some that respond in worship of Jesus. They clutch his feet and they worship Jesus, and the others are refusing to worship him. That's probably what the doubt is. What I have to tell you is your belief allows you to see more than meets the eye, while when you doubt, you can mis- dismiss even the very thing, things that are before you in plain sight. Something incredible happening when it, Actually, didn't Adam, didn't you, didn't you have a car crash not too long ago? That was like a devastating car crash. Wasn't your, was it a cross track or something? Your, your, it was a big, a cross tour. It was a cross, wasn't it smashed into like smithereens? Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but God, you came, out, you came out well, right? Praise God. Miraculous. It's miraculous that we are able, we're able to, to enjoy the protection at that, at that caliber. Now, uh, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, this is a claim that may challenge our faith. Do you really believe that Jesus has the authority in all the heavens and the earth? You need faith. You need real faith to believe that Jesus actually has all authority on this side of heaven when you go through your personal hardships, when you lose a loved one, or when you are caught in the same patterns, destructive patterns of life, or maybe in your relationships or at your workplace. When you encounter evil, when you notice wicked people prospering in this world without a care in this world, right? Then you, then you, you, have, you have to sit there and wonder, Jesus, are you really the Lord of this world? Are you really the Lord? You know, it challenges your faith that way. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Nobody here has ever seen God. Has anybody seen God? No, right? But we believe that He exists. We believe that He interacts with us. He intervenes in our lives. He cares about us. We believe that, right? And we return that affection to Him. The circumstantial, the situational, the episodic or even the perennial injustices are not there to derail your faith or to throw you off your track, but so that you would see and interpret these things through your faith, through your belief, leaning on Jesus that we trust with our eternal salvation. If Jesus is the person who who secures our eternal salvation, all the things that happen around us, all the things that seem to not make sense, we have to be able to interpret them in this, with this scope, with the scope of the Bible and Scripture that we believe in, we trust in. It is by our faith that we are meant to read Scripture. It is by our faith that we are able to see the world around us and see the connection. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, who has claimed all authority, not only in heaven, but here on earth as well. When we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord of this place right now. I mean, 
just because there's disobedience, just because there's sin, just because there's evil, it doesn't mean that he is powerless to these things. Just waiting and waiting and giving us a chance to come back and return to him. As we witness evil and wickedness in the world, doubt can enter our minds. We can doubt, but faith is much longer in range than the evils of this world. Faith goes into eternity. Faith is a chaperone and the usher of our lives to be able to make that step, the final step into where we cross over into the pearly gates of heaven. Yes, doubt can make you sink and collapse, but faith lifts you and builds you from, what, from out of what is not seen. Before this chair was constructed, all the chairs that we see before us, it was empty space. It, was, it had to be conceived by somebody to put it into design, by an industry to be able to put the materials to put together and to press the form out, right? All, everything that exists today that is visible with our eyes, it became, it came because of, in one measure or another, faith, right? Being sure of something that isn't there yet. That is how we live. Not by sight, but by faith. Amen? This is what First uh, Peter says. First Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Have you guys ever been in a relationship that's kind of insecure, unstable? And uh, the person is asking constantly and challenging, putting tests to see if you really love them or not? Like if, if it could be a she or it could be a he. I don't think God is the kind of person that we would issue those challenges and tests. If you really love me, God, uh, please help me get this done. Help me get that done. I mean, that, we, don't, we, don't, we don't test them on such grounds. Just as, uh, well, I guess he could test us on such grounds, but we don't, we don't ask God for more evidence of his love just because we don't see him. Because we know that in Scripture, we, we see that he has sent his son. He has sent Jesus Christ to pay the price and the penalty of the original human sin that catches us in the mess that we are in in the world. When we are able to believe and to worship and to not doubt that Jesus is a final authority both in eternity as well as here and now, because here is part of eternity, then we can proceed to the next thing that Jesus commands us. We have to be sure of this first. We have to have faith. You have to believe. You have to believe that we're under the authority of Jesus to be able to go to the second point, which is to make disciples. To make disciples is our mandate is our calling when we are called out as a church. You guys, some of you guys who took the uh, uh, membership class, you've learned that the, uh, the Greek word, the Greek word ekklesia for church, is a combined word from ek, out of, kaleo, to call. We're called out of the world for the express purpose. We're saved into his fold with the express purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And the question is, how do we do this? It sounds like an insurmountable task. It sounds such a holy and grand, ambitious thing. How do we make disciples of Jesus Christ? If you have taken a living life course with me, of course, you may have heard, you may have learned that uh, therefore go in the Great Commission. That is not the main verb. Going is not the main verb. It is only a participial verb that modifies the verb to make disciples. 
Matete usate, that's the, uh, uh, that's the, uh, the Greek word. And uh, we don't have an English equivalent of such a word, but George Bush Jr. might have said, disciplize or disciplify or something like that. It's, a, it's one word. To make disciples is in Greek one word. And there's a twofold process that we find most important in the church. If you're asking yourself, are we doing this? Am I part of this? Then you know that you're in a church that's fulfilling the commission. One is to save souls. Save souls. Those of you who have somebody who's kind of in the fringes that are not believers, that's a blessing. The presence of that VIP is a blessing in your house church because you are there to save souls, and the other is to make disciples. First one is to save souls. Second one is to make disciples. And disciples go out and reach, go out and to reach out to, the, to, to save new souls, to soul, new people, new members, VIPs. And then those saved souls, they later become disciples to repeat this process which had begun thousands of years ago. The, way, the reason why, the, <laughs> we are able to afford meeting as a church today because of this process not being broken. It's like a chain, concatenations of this process having gone on for centuries and centuries. We go and make disciples because, uh, I mean, as, as Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. The people that are familiar with you, the people that have seen you when you grew up since you were little, they know you too much. There's familiarity. But when you go to a, another place, when you go to a remote location, just as Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, we are sent. And, and, and as we mentioned, there is a still a, it's a small window where we can go to two mission opportunities. I mean, there's some complication right now still with, uh, with Africa. I just heard over the grapevine that, heard through the grapevine that, that uh, the, flight, the flight to Africa was canceled because there are not many flights going there. Because, you know, the airlines don't, they don't, they can't afford to just fly like few people each time they go. But uh, there are mission opportunities presented in spite of the coronavirus still not even near its full eradication. This is because if we don't move, if we don't go, if we don't scramble when we need to, we're sitting ducks. We're sitting ducks. There's, there has to be this kind of, we're not just going through the motions, but, but the spirit of the mission of God has to be what drives the church to, get, to, to keep together. It drives the church. The mission of God is what drives uh, the worship to be, to be made possible in the remotest parts by his people being sent. In Christian mission, we notice how the very father of faith, Abram, was called out of his home country by God. This goes back, it's not the Great Commission like in the New Testament. This, this leave, leave your home, it, it goes way back to Genesis from the very beginning. Go to the place where I show you, that's what God says to him. You and your whole household. And during this process of the journey, during this period of migration, Abram matures into Abraham. And comes into full dependence on God. As he is leaving the comforts of his home, what he's, uh, what he's familiar with, he becomes more and more dependent on God. And later on, what happens? His greatest asset, that the, the person that can, he, he can rely on the most, it, beco it becomes a living God and nothing less. 
he is greatly blessed. He changes from a, a, a sniveling weakling into a true warrior of great epic proportions. He becomes a father of faith, in fact, the father of all nations. That's the honor that has been bestowed to him because simply he trusted God the Father. So going is definitely part of it. But, but if we all went, there wouldn't be any church left. If everybody was like on fire for going and said, okay, I'm going to go, and everybody went, there'd be nobody left here for the ESC to do any kind of, a, any kind of worship, right? We would all be scattered into the missional diaspora. The way it is done these days is that the long-term missionaries select few people that are willing to sacrifice the good life in the United States. They're willing to go to places like Thailand, like Pastor Scott, right? Like Pastor Samuel in Tijuana. They're willing to just go. And, uh, and the, while the churches that sponsor their ministry support them both prayerfully and financially. So I pray that from our church will be some who will rise to the challenge. Some who will be inspired to answer the call to go at least to a short-term mission to get closer to the Lord, to get disciplined, to get discipled by the Holy Spirit himself. You know, when I look at uh, Eric, Eric being a civil engineering major and all, uh, civil engineering has to deal with the building, the infrastructure, right? Infrastructure of the city. There are a lot of uh, poorer countries where somebody like that with some experience. Let's say that Eric has you know, in, embarked on his career for two decades now, and then he has some expertise. He, le- he achieves senior level status, and he's nearing the twilight of his career, and then he's looking forward into retirement. Not just retiring to rest, but at that point, with all that expertise, he can be inspired by the Lord Jesus to say, you know what, I'm building something over this place, near Cameroon or wherever, some, some, just some random place. And uh, if he's stirred by the Holy Spirit and he gets on fire for God, he may be able to dedicate those last years with all the expertise that he amassed, you know, in, in the privilege of this country and go there and then to live it out for the Lord, live it out for God's people in this process of discipleship, in this process of saving souls and allowing his name to be heard to the nations. That is, my brothers and sisters, the highest aspiration, the highest calling. How many of you ever dreamt of becoming the president of the United States? Have you guys ever thought of that? I think, I think to myself, more and more as time passes, like uh, maybe not this generation, but the generation after, maybe third, fourth generation Koreans that are raised, raised here, I don't see why not. Why should that not be an aspiration? Why not aim to the highest so that your belief and your faith, the fact that you are made in the image of God, can shine His glory? I think that there are many ways for us to... Um, orient our ambition towards a holy direction to where he gets the glory. So going is the first thing, right? Making disciples is, is a process of going. You know, there are people, select people that go. But then there's a second thing is teaching. And this teaching is out here in the West, reduced to transmission of information. We pay a lot of money. So all, all of you guys, all of you guys have some college education. Some of you are going to college right now. And you spend a lot of money paying top dollars in tuition just for a lot of transmission of information and testing whether you know this or not, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, I'm not questioning the value of education per se, but how much of that information are you actually going to use? What are you actually taking away from the colleges? Right? 
if you had paid the tuition to do, do all those studies, it wasn't just for information, it was for a particular discipline outside of just the scope of your study, of like what you're absorbing as material, but the people that you network with, the professors that you get to know, you learn about the field that you're gonna be interested in, right? It's more than just information, right? This is what happens in the teaching as well. Uh, to learn the word of God is of supreme priority. I like it when I meet brothers and sisters, young guys especially, young girls, that know the Bible. And so when we have Bible trivia, they're, like the, they're at the buzzer and they're able to answer, you know? I love that. But rather than only to know the content of the Word of God, the discipleship method of choice, of Jesus' choice, was apprenticeship by modeling. Information has to be coupled with inspiration for transformation. Information alone in itself it's just data. It amounts to just data, right? But if you have all that information because you really care about the material, you really care about what God says, if you, mem- if you happen to memorize those verses because, man, you know that there's something life-giving in those verses for you and pot- potentially other people, then you commit it to your heart. You internalize it and you live according to it, right? I don't know if you guys know... Uh, this is not the case in Korea, unfortunately, but in, well, actually, I take it back. I've seen some special interest uh, uh, documentaries, Korean shows, that, that boast the traditional uh, pottery, for example. Like when you, when you watch some culture channels and then they have some documentary, there's, there's men that, that have learned through the old traditions of making pottery, like in the traditional way, firing it up. I mean, there's machines that do these things now, but, but we value the old artisan ways, the craftsmanship. Like when you go to Japan, when in Japan, they're still making swords. You guys know that the samurai swords that they make is legendary because they, they have hours that go into it and a lot of passion. So much so that they think, they believe that this material object, the sword, has the spirit of the person, the craftsman that has made it. And that kind of energy and intensity, that kind of per- level of perfection, their commitment to the craft is only uh, transmitted from the master to the apprentice. From the master to the apprentice. Our master is not a sword maker per se. Our master is the Lord Jesus who gives us the sword of the Spirit. With the sword of the Spirit, we're able to navigate through the rough waters and the terrains of this life and come out triumphant for God's name. He protects us and He shields us as long as we are committed and dedicated to that charge. Amen? Amen? You better believe it, brothers and sisters. And this traces our faith roots back to Genesis. The sons of Abram, uh, sorry, sons of Adam received the inheritance, the heritage of their father's faith by, by having it handed down through observation and modeling along with the rituals for formal sacrifice. So when Adam, you know, after they sinned, when they first were exiled, they were still keeping in communion with God. They were still communicating with God and communing with God. And this legacy followed through Abram, Isaac, Jacob, right? It keeps going, going down to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it boils down, it gets reduced, and reduced down to Jesus Christ. And from then on, it opens up not just to the Jews, but all to the Gentiles, which is how the faith arrived to us today. It was not an easy process. It, it, was, not, it was not free. It, 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 it cost some lives. 
There was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears through which we are receiving the faith that we enjoy today. We can never take it for granted, brothers and sisters. Jesus wants us to disciple all nations, teaching them to, do, to obey everything that he has commanded us. If we were to boil it down to the two most important things is to love God, to love God with all our being, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we're practicing this and we're trying to do our best every time and people are noticing us, witnessing us doing this, what they're seeing is not just a person, but the living God. They're witnessing the living God in action as He acts upon us. That is a desirable challenge. That is the goal for our lives. We do not live our lives aimlessly. Sometimes we think that, uh, you know, having a career, a fixed career or a job, you know, being productive in society, that's, that's the way to be purposeful. But all of those things that we do is for the sake of the greater ends. That's far greater and outlives our very lives here in the physical state. We do this by modeling, by we ourselves obeying first what he taught us. A lot of times, you know, I just became a parent like only five years ago, right? So it's all new to me. A very high learning curve, you know, because you, be you have to reach a certain emotional maturity to be, able to, to be able to be an effective father and even a husband, right? But I can't teach them to do what I don't do myself. I can't. They have to watch me, even if it's something, even if it's something as trivial as me jogging on the treadmill regularly. That's something that I do so they can emulate and mimic, right? If we do not love God, if we do not love our neighbors as ourselves, nobody that comes to encounter us will be convinced that we really believe actually in what we profess with our lips. It's a precarious place for, to, for, for a pastor to stand because, because if I don't practice what I preach, that amounts to hypocrisy, right? There are many moments when, when the, the red flag goes on, wait, am I really doing what I just preached today, right? Our faith will always carry these elements to go, to displace ourselves from the comforts of our own home, to be sent, and two, to make disciples by demonstrating our own obedience to Jesus' words, and lastly, with the sacrament of baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sealed into oneness in the Trinity. We need faith to be able to do this stuff because without faith, first of all, it doesn't make any sense. By us doing those things, people will see that we have faith, right? But to do those things, we need faith because to make disciples is an energy and cost-intensive process. It will, it, will, it will demand out of you patience. If you have impatience, if you have no self-control, if you have those fruit, fruit of the Spirit lacking, it will be in the proving grounds of discipleship, disciple-making, that it will be honed down and you acquire those gifts. The fruit will be acquired over time. And then, when that happens, you'll be re-imaged into the creation of something perfect that He wants you to reflect. God wants us to reflect His perfection. And I got to tell you honestly, I make excuses for myself a lot. One too many times. I always make excuses. You know, but I'm a human being. I'm a flawed human being. I'm so broken. And we litter these things, these, these qualifiers. But let me tell you, if there was one reason why Jesus had to come as a human being, 
so that we would model after him. He did not, just because Jesus is Jesus, he didn't, he didn't say, he didn't come here to make us feel bad about ourselves. Ha ha, you can't even do what I did. That's not why he came. But he came and he showed it to us because he was absolutely reproducible. Absolutely something that we can model after and we can mimic. That's why Paul says, be imitators of Christ, as I am imitator of Christ. Not that we will do it perfectly, but as we do it, we will be attaining closeness to that perfection that we all die for, that we all live for. When, when you are in a ministry on top of, being, of, of the bearing fruit, when you're in the ministry and you're bearing fruit, there is motivation that's even greater than the fruit. And this is, this is the, uh, the, the question and our, our, our third point. Why will we do that? Why will we, dis- why will we disciple? Why will we do the, the sacrificial thing? Because this is the best part. It's being with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you took a small moment, a small moment where you just uh, said, you know, forget everything and I'm just with the Lord. And your entire being, your mind, your thoughts, everything is brought down to that one singular moment where you wanted to be applied towards the one person that matters forever. Have a moment of quiet time with Jesus in that way. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it's different. It's different because that's when worship began, really. I want more of that time with my personal life. I want to spend more time with Jesus in that way because everything else does get the volume turned down. And when the volume, the noise, the white noise is turned down, you hear him with clarity. And his, his words, brothers and sisters, they're all life-giving words. You hear his word, life-giving words. So good. So good. And then before you know it, after you, after you heard his words for a while, you have become elevated. You came from that pit, and then you, you went up a little higher, and you're hearing him clearer and clearer and clearer. Being with Jesus, being with Jesus, that is what it's about. I know, I mean, you could give me a trillion dollars, and you could give me all the lavish, all the pleasures of this, of this universe that any man could concoct and fathom. Man, I mean, a thousand years of such things would not amount to a diddly squat when we compare it to the one second with Jesus. I'm making no exaggerations on this. Because if you have ever been in there, if you've ever tasted it, you know that I'm speaking truth. If you've ever been in there where you are face to face with the Lord in your heart, right? And, and, and He embraces you. There's nothing that compares that kind of love. Not even your parents, not even your spouse. That love. I want you to all capture it and taste it. And that's why we do the hard things. Because it's worth it. When you do the hard things, when you, when you are on your knees and you start to bleed a little bit because you spend so much time on your knees, but when you have that, it's worth it. It's worth it to cross the boundaries. It's worth it to cross the barriers and go to the, to the land where you do the mission. It's worth it to come early in the morning when nobody else is showing up in the cold of winter. When, you, when, you, when you're saying, no, this is for me to meet with Jesus, it's worth it. Because that kind of sincerity, Jesus does not say, well, it's not enough. Jesus never does that. The revelation that he gives us is commensurate with the sincerity of our hearts and how hard we go to reach it and to receive it. Salvation, we already have it because we believe it, right? But is that enough? Are you just satisfied with that? A lot of times we are. 
well, I'm safe. Whew. So, you know, I got the fire insurance sign. It's okay. But is that really how we want to live the rest of our lives without having that, that, that relationship with God? Relationship with Jesus where he knows us by name? This is the very reason why we do what we do. In Matthew 28, this is the very last words of Jesus, by, according to Matthew. I am with you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Nothing more reassuring than that. I can walk through the darkest valley, valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Amen? He is my shepherd, and I hear his voice. There's nothing... That, that threatens me. Are you able to live with that kind of security today? Because that's when the, the, you have become the most dangerous man in the world, a Christian. That's when you have become, sister, one of the most dangerous women in the world, a, a Christian, a believer. A believer that has the power to topple down the evil structures, crump, have, it, have the structure implode from within because they don't have that kind of power or sustainability. When we look to the great commission of our text, this is the most important assurance and motivation for us to go and make disciples of all nations. What motivates the average individual to go and join the mission of God is when you are in the middle of the action, you can hear him much, much better. His presence is wonderfully satisfying. I hope that's the case for the people that are joining us in Zoom. I don't know how much more comfortable it is for you to be on Zoom, but if you had made the extra effort to come here, it is that much more worth it. I'm sure, I'm sure you're experiencing it right now. It's different than when you were just from home. Okay? His joy is incomparable when you go all, going all that, that far. Sometimes we, we hold back. And we miss out so much more because we hold back. You can hear Jesus, our Lord and Captain, lead his platoon in the middle of the field of spiritual battle. You know how exhilarating that is? Now, um, in the past, when I jog my memory in the short-term mission, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like someone, you know, so, like, a, like a high school athlete reliving glory days by now. But, man, I'm telling you, when the team is able to all in unison without any argument, we're all syn synchronized. Everything synchronized, watches, synchronized. The, the, the frequencies are all tuned to the same Lord, and we're doing things together there is no joy like that. And I want each and every one of you to, to capture that, to taste that, that he is good. This is very hard to reproduce by those who are just watching us spectators at the sidelines. If we're just watching, yeah, I mean, sure, we appreciate the cheer, cheerleading. You know, we appreciate the, the moral support. But, but when you're in the, in the middle of the action, it is impossible to savor by those who are disengaged and watching from far away. Oh, let, let's see how they do. If they really indeed are with Jesus, they should succeed. You know, I mean, we sometimes kind of gauge at the, at, the, at, the level of, at the level of what it is that we're, we're committed to by the, the results, right? But if we try to evaluate things according to our results, man, how doomed are we? The Messiah that... The Messiah that uh, that they had so, such high hopes for revolution in Israel, he ends up uh, dying the death of a criminal on the cross. When Jesus says, I am with you always, it is this very presence that to each and every one of us is already the very great reward. 
the Christians that become disillusioned with the church is because they have not tasted that presence of the Lord. The reason why resurrection is important for us today is not because, oh, once there was a man that lived so-and-so years and he died and he came back to life. That's not why the resurrection is important. The resurrection is important because he's alive today and he's my Lord. Can you say that? Give me an amen if you can say that, if that's your confession too. He's my Lord, he's alive now. Give me an amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. There are times when we live as though he is nowhere near us. And some people in church do live without knowing that great presence. That's a tragedy. But it is the presence of the Lord Jesus that makes every moment satisfying to the core of our souls. Is it not? You know why people that used to be addicted to so many things, they become less and less addicted to those things. They, they find liberation and freedom. It's because the environment changes. Whatever darkness was oppressing them changes because the presence of Jesus is that much satisfying. Uh, and top, to top it off, to top it off, not just the presence of Jesus, among the community of believers, you already feel safeguarded from the, the darkness, from the curses of the demons and the enemy. When Jesus says, I am with you always, this I am is the same I am that Moses came to know, starting from that voice that came from the burning bush in the desert in Exodus. The eternally existent, all-perceiving, all-knowing personal God who has promised to never forsake us or abandon us, who has a vested interest in our purification and strengthening to rise up to bear His holiness. That should give us some chills. That is His expectation. You know your parents have high expectations. Do they have high expectations of you? You should thank them. Oh, you do not amount to much. Um, some parents actually say that, right? But if your parents have they have a commanding lead of your excellence. If they have great things, aspirations for you, you should be thankful to them. But let me tell you this. God's expectation of us is infinitely higher. Who's our model? Jesus Christ. <laughs> now that's love. And that's not because he trusts us, because we're trustworthy in, in our excellence. No, it's because he trusts himself. Amen? Jesus is trustworthy in that way. For us, the church, the presence of Jesus is why we gather together in prayer like we did this last Good Friday or the worship service we did together jointly uh, last Easter Sunday. In the communion of saints, we come into the presence of Jesus because gathering together makes possible the collective appreciation, celebration, and the authentic and genuine worship of God, our adoration of Him is made complete in the love of each other in God's presence. Uh, my wife and I, we always, I mean, this is, a, this is a fact. I mean, I am so blessed because I gave my mother so much grief when I was younger. When I was my, ch my children's age, oh my Lord, I, I gave my mother a lot of grief. So she thanks God because change has entered into my life since I met Jesus. And uh, a lot of times we share, you know, in the bedroom talk, we, we, we bring it up. Oh, we're so blessed that uh, Jonathan and Tiffany, they love each other so much. They get along so well. Guess when God is glorified? When we're loving each other ourselves. When we love each other in the church. And not only 
amongst ourselves just because we're the church, but when we extend that love to those who don't, don't know God yet, that's love. That's where enemy love begins. Right? Sometimes enemy love begins within the household because you disagree, you oppose, but man, that's why he called it into existence. He said, enemy love is what I want you to do. I want you to be able to love the person who disagrees with, disagrees with you vehemently to the point where they want to crucify you. What, what did Jesus show us? He showed us. He showed us. So before we wrap up our message uh, today, let, let us review. Number one, do not see to believe, but believe to see. If you want to see the picture more clearly, believe first. Believe first. Because doubt will erode at your sense of trust of anything at all, especially when it's God who we don't see with our eyes. That's what the atheists, atheists don't believe because they can't see God. None of us can see God. That's why they don't believe. That's their claim. <laughs> but I don't know how many of them have seen their own brain, right? Maybe, I don't know. Our belief gives us more than sight. It gives us insight. You could be, two people could be looking at the same thing, same object, same scenario, same situation or circumstance, but two people with faith or without faith will have vastly different interpretations. One goes up, one goes down, way down. And faith gives us vision. Prophet Joel has spoken, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young people, your young men will see visions. Have faith. Have faith. So that you could see more clearly your future, your own future. And secondly, make disciples. We make disciples of Jesus first of ourselves. We can't make disciples of Jesus to other people when we are not discipled ourselves. We have to first obey Him, right? So that we can model for others. We baptize Him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, of the Holy Spirit so that they will come to receive Him and the salvation of their souls afforded by what Jesus did on the cross. We bear the best news that any, two pair of ear, any pair of ears could ever hear. You talk about a mega million jackpot? That's the jackpot of all jackpots. What? What? We're forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future? I mean, if you want an insurance, that's the kind of insurance that you need because... Even if you have been converted into Christianity, you will make mistakes. Some of those mistakes, you will, you, will know, you will not know if you could live with it. But when you know Jesus, when you know the nature of His grace and His love, to the extent that He will forgive you even those sins, then you know, then you know that you have someone to hold on to with dear life with your hands because He will hold on to you with dear life. Abide in me, He said. Apart from me, you cannot bear any fruit. That is why we exist. That is why we are saved in the first place. God called us to this very high calling to which everything else that we do our living for becomes a means to its ultimate end. Later on, when, you, when uh, Chris becomes a dentist or some other uh, health care professional, Later on, when uh, Eric becomes a civil engineer of some status and recognition in his field, all the other people that have aspirations, you know, for your jobs and your careers, if we th make that the ends, that, that amounts to us becoming the slaves of money. And I got to tell you, money makes a, 
a lousy master. You're much better off being, becoming its master while you're, saving, while you're serving the Lord. While you're serving the Lord. Because you will keep your soul intact. Your identity will be secure in the everlasting God who has, who has made us in His image. Um, and if you're still not convinced, like those who are doubting from the 11 disciples, standing before even the risen Lord, uh, why will we do that? Why will we disciple? Why will we sacrifice? Why will we give, suffer, and die at NBC? Because His presence is with us as we engage in these things. As the shepherds serve, you know, sometimes it's difficult, right? Sometimes people don't show up. It's difficult, you know? When you have a full house, the preacher is like, whoa, you know, but even when there's one soul right in the, in the middle, you, I still have to do my thing. I have to do it. It's not easy. Sometimes it can be very discouraging. But, but we engage in these things because in those moments, in those miraculous moments, we see Jesus. We witness Him. And it's worth it. It's worth it. As we believe, as we trust and as we obey and make disciples, as we obey everything that He has commanded us, His sweet presence becomes a very great reward that satisfies our souls. We try to replace with other things. And yeah, we may be able to momentarily gratify our flesh, right? But it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. We, we become so satisfied that we become selfless like Him. You see, why Jesus was able to do what he, what he did is because he had the, the divinity, right? When we, when we attach ourselves to Christ, we become the hunger that we have, the, the holiness that we hunger for becomes, becomes satisfied in our souls. And when we become satisfied, we don't become so needy. We become satisfied like him. And to top it off, there is an overflow we can't just keep it to ourselves. We can't keep Jesus to ourselves now, can we? We share with others. Those of you who have tasted that the Lord is good, you can attest to this. I know you guys, at some level, sometime in your life, maybe during a retreat, maybe sometime in a distant past, maybe sometime recently, you have experienced it. I know you have. And I know that you would never let it go. Never let it go. We want to fan that flame, fire into, into a giant flame. We want to fan it into a flame. We want to keep it going robust. It's like starting an engine that sputters, you know? But then once you get, the, once you get that spark going, it, it, you know, it goes and goes and goes, and it can, it can rev in an exciting way. You know... Um, this is what God said to Abram in Genesis 15.1. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Have you ever thought that his presence is the reward in itself? It is. It is. When you have experienced him in that way, everything follows. Everything follows and everything fits together. The puzzle is not the chaos, but like uh, Sharon. Sharon is, loves to do puzzles, like 2,000-piece puzzles. She does it fastidiously, you know, for a long time. And after some time passes, a couple weeks passes, bam, voila, we have the big picture and it's crystal clear. It'll be like that. May each of your hearts accept the challenge and receive the fire 
to want to move forward in your faith and grow as you see more of Him moving in, your, in our lives, touching our hearts, as we commit to the Great Commission as the very reason for our lives. May the very great reward of His presence pervade all your waking moments and even in your sweet nights of rest. Amen? Let us close in prayer. Our precious Father, we thank you so much for reminding us why we exist, why you have plucked us out of the mire of, and the pit of, of sin and death. Lord, uh, help us to view each of our souls the way you view, with so much value, so precious, priceless. That's how you see each and every one of us. Help us, Lord, exalt each other in that way. Help us not uh, denigrate. Help us not look down on each other, but to, to really build each other up because you call us to that. You have made us in your precious image, and you have sent Jesus, your one and only Son, who bears a perfect image. And so, Lord, teach us your humility. Disciple us in such a wonderful way so that we would, Lord, really remain even to the very last days, as you have said, in your presence, salt of the earth and the light of the world. We trust. We trust you. I don't see it. We, not that we see it now, but we trust. And with the faith that you have given us as a precious gift, we will walk one day more, one week forward, with our foot, right foot in front of the other. We ask that you would light our path and that you would guide our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now at this time we'll have a time of praise and response after which we'll do our offering.